what the memo laid out and the way this is going to be implemented if they are approved is basically creating different classes of U.S. citizens and the U.S. government signing off on that and essentially signing off on Israel's system of apartheid. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman. And I'm Asa Winstanley. Welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman. We've got some exciting updates to the podcast coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Uh, But today we're taking a look at the U.S. visa waiver program and what the status of Israel's admission to the program means, especially for Palestinian Americans. As we reported in June, 65 members of the U.S. Senate sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, urging them to, quote, include Israel in the visa waiver program and to encourage both the Department of State and the Department of Homeland Security to prioritize finalizing Israel's accession this year. The senators hope that if Israel hits certain benchmarks, particularly with Palestinian American travelers, that the apartheid state can no- can join the select program and some 450,000 annual Israeli travelers will no longer have to secure a visa to travel to the U.S. Visitors would then be able to make 90-day tourist and business visas uh, visits without a visa. Palestinians fear that the fulfillment of those benchmarks will be a temporary phenomenon and Palestinian Americans and Muslim American travelers will quickly face discrimination once again. There are profound doubts that, quote, snapback provisions would actually be applied to Israel. The senator's letter overlapped with Palestinian Americans huddling in relatives' homes as settlers with complicit Israeli soldiers put Palestinian property to the torch. As our colleague Michael Brown wrote, quote, the letter's timing was shameless. Approval of the visa waiver program by the September 30th deadline would have practical implications for Palestinian American travelers whose concerns about Israeli discrimination when they travel to the region are being downplayed by U.S. senators in their haste to get Israel into the program. And then in late July, the United States signed a Memorandum of Understanding, an MOU, with Israel with Israel relating to Israel's admission to the visa waiver program. According to the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, the ADC, quote, a major focus of the MOU is the treatment of Arab and Palestinian passengers by Israel at ports of entry. For decades, Israel has subjected U.S. citizen travelers of Arab and Palestinian descent to humiliating searches, delays, and restrictions on movement, among many other degrading practices. Notably, the ADC adds that the MOU and current Israeli policies do not guarantee fully equal and reciprocal treatment for all Americans. This is significant as entry into the visa waiver program requires that the cooperating nation treats all U.S. citizens equally and that a blue passport is a blue passport. We're joined by two members of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, Abed Ayoub, ADC's National Executive Director, and Chris Habibi, National Government Affairs and Advocacy Director. Abed and Chris, thanks so much for being here uh, today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, having us on. Thank you. So, Abed, let's start uh, by having you lay out the general issues that U.S. citizens of Palestinian and Arab descent have had for decades trying to enter Palestine uh, through either the Tel Aviv airport or the points of entry from Jordan and what the visa waiver program is. 
Thank you again. The, the, the challenges facing Palestinians trying to enter uh, Israel, particularly Palestinian Americans and Arab Americans in general, trying to enter Israel uh, to get to uh, Palestine, to get to the West Bank or to get to Gaza have been well documented. We know the long checking line, the checkpoints. We know the um, detainment that happens at the airport, the intrusive questioning, the bans. This has all been well documented by human rights groups, you know, both here in the U.S. Uh, and in Palestine. So the, the the examples are out there. And what the visa waiver program is intended to do, it's intended to make travel of citizens between, you know, agreed country, you know, agreed uh, countries that are part of the program easier. So if you have, for example, Croatia, I believe was the last country entered into the program, nationals of Croatia could travel to the U.S. without a visa and vice versa. But we know that, you know, Israel is not Croatia. It's not any other country that's part of the program. There's 40 countries that are part of it. Israel is the only one right now that has a system of apartheid and a system of treating people differently according to their race, where they were born, their religion, uh, as soon as they get to a, a checkpoint or a uh, port of entry. And that's the problem. That's the issue we're seeing here. In a perfect world, the you know they would be admitted into the visa waiver program and as you mentioned blue means blue that means anybody with a blue us passport can go through you know go through the program enter go where they need to go that's not the reality and you know what we can get into what the memo laid out and the way this is going to be implemented if they are approved is basically creating different classes of us citizens and the us government signing off on that and essentially signing off on israel's system of apartheid uh, and stating and, and putting in policy that not all U.S. citizens uh, are the same. And therein lies the problem that in a perfect world, the visa waiver program would be welcomed by everyone. And I, I do want to note that we are seeing some positive stories and folks posting on social media that they were able to get in, that they were able to go through the process. But you have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. How long will this last? Is Israel only doing this now so they get admitted into the program? Once they're admitted into the program, you know, will they go back to their past practices? Never have we seen somebody enter the visa waiver program and then get removed from the visa waiver program. I doubt Israel would be the first, uh, you know, if they do get admitted. So there's a lot of questions that remain, even though we are seeing some individuals benefit from the current changes uh, of policy that, you know, the, the, the Israelis have implemented. Mm. And Chris, um, can you talk about the significance of the fact uh, that Abed just mentioned that if the memorandum fails to specify any consequences, um, if Israel does not engage in reciprocity, um, what could that mean for for Palestinian travelers? I'm. I, it basically it could mean that as soon as Israel gets in, let's say it, it happens sometime in September. Come October, once again, Palestinian Americans that are on the Palestinian Population Registry are no longer able to enter through um, through, through Ben Gurion, which is what they should be able to do already. Um, the policy that policy change that Israel announced uh, last, late last month did allow for some of these Palestinians to, to enter through the airport, but at, at the end of the day, we're still creating separate procedures for Palestinians, depending on whether they're on the registry, depending on where they are from. So, And some of the, you know, some of the questioning that happens routinely at Ben-Gurion 
for example, is like, you know, they they pull um, people of, uh, you know, Arab Palestinian descent um, aside and they start questioning them about their family, uh, who their father was, what village, you know, they were from, where they're traveling. Um, Would any of that very racist uh, profiling uh, system be, uh, you know, be mitigated at 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 the borders, or or would that kind of be continued in in some sort of fashion? Do you have any idea? So the the MOU doesn't actually address the delays that happen because we know that you know quite often even Palestinians that aren't on the registry, Palestinian Americans who aren't on the registry get detained for hours, um, and whether they whether or not they get in, that is still a, a deeply humiliating. Uh, experience to have to go through. Now, the MOU, it addresses specifically getting, entering and exiting, um, receiving the the visa approved, essentially, but it doesn't address the the specifics of the detainments. um, And it does create these these carve-outs for security, for immigration concerns that Israel may have, which goes back to the very racist Israeli laws that are already on the books. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Abed. Right. No, I, I was going to add there. I don't anticipate that those practices will go away. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Israeli government will continue using, you know, the excuse of national security to justify uh, their actions. That's something this government did in the you know immediate aftermath of 9-11 and continues to do in targeting, you know, Arab Muslim travelers. Uh, in the U.S., including U.S. citizens. So I doubt that they're not going to allow Israel to do and continue what they're doing. And that is a cause of concern. That's something that was not mentioned in the memo. Again, those stories are out there. We've been dealing with them and hearing about them uh, for decades, the humiliation that they put uh, individuals through. And they, and they do that intentionally. So individuals say, you know, I don't want to travel here. I'm right. going to go back. That That is their intention in putting them in the rooms, detaining them, holding them for hours, the humiliation. That's part of their... I'm old. That's what they want to do. And, and and I doubt that they'll stop doing that, even if admitted into the uh, waiver program. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the separate procedures for U.S. citizens deemed residents of the West Bank or residents of Gaza and how the U.S. is continuing to endorse Israel's apartheid policies um, for those uh, Palestinian Americans. As uh, your group says, quote, under the system established by the MOU, Palestinian Americans from Gaza are treated as second-class citizens and are sub- and are subject to a completely different set of rules. Only Palestinian Americans with first-degree family ties are allowed to apply for permission to enter Gaza, and they must travel through the West Bank. The only exceptions made are for children under the age of 12, meaning that those older would be prevented from visiting grandparents. Those eligible must apply 45 days prior to traveling and are only allowed to apply once a year. So again, these just monumental restrictions. Um, uh, what does what could this program change? Uh, you know, if if there is reciprocity for those Palestinian Americans with uh, residency uh, papers from from the West Bank or Gaza, if if anything. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to actually take a step back. The the both of those terms that are used in the MOU: resident of the West Bank, resident of Gaza. Neither have a definition. Um, so as of right now, we don't know what Israel will consider a resident of the West Bank, a resident of Gaza. It could be 
as as bad as anybody on the population registry is considered a resident. So now they are subject to specific rules, entry requirements. We're already seeing that um, those that are that have uh, quote unquote residency in the West Bank are being told you can't enter through this checkpoint. You have to go to a different checkpoint. Oh, you can't cross over a checkpoint in a car, whether as a driver or a passenger. You have to get out of the car, go on foot. Um, so <laughs> it's a the, these rules are creating separate classes of Americans. Now, in, in a perfect world, if the, the visa waiver program and all its requirements are met, Palestinian Americans can go visit family in, in Gaza. They can go to the West Bank. There is no restrictions. They can travel. They can rent cars. They can do basically anything that a normal tourist would be able to do when visiting Israel. Um, and this program, when is it expected to begin um, and what obstacles could be in the way leading up to it in the next uh, couple months? The trial period uh, is over on September 30th. And the if, if a decision is not made by the 30th of September, the end of the fiscal year, uh, the U.S. government's fiscal year, then this will, the process will have to start over uh, on October 1. They'll have to aim for next year. So the, the the immediate deadline in front of us is September 30th. And the, the hurdles standing in the way of Israel being admitted are its own policies and practices in its own system, uh, apartheid system that's in place. And their unwillingness to um, really abide by the visa waiver program, coupled with the U.S. government's willingness to, you know, be complicit and, and help them navigate and wiggle their way around things and creating different categories and even letting it get this far is troubling and concerning. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind is even if this administration does not admit Israel into the visa waiver program, you may get a future administration that will look and say, you know what, they've done enough. We, we put them through the ringer. This is good enough for me. So hypothetically, you can have a Trump administration or a DeSantis administration come in and say, Thank you, Biden. You all did good. Uh, I mean, you know, let's just pick it up where we left it off and admit them. So the groundwork for admission, at least in, in, in my opinion, is there. Uh, it, it's just a matter of whether or not we can push it past the 30th and keep applying pressure to the current administration not to allow it to happen. Um, and, and the one thing I will add with, with this current administration in place with DHS, they have been receptive in, in meeting and hearing out the community concerns. So it's not as if, you know, ADC and, and Chris and other, you know, Arab organizations and Palestinian community members, they've been around the table really giving their insight and having an opportunity to present for the first time the impacts and the, the of these Israeli policies. So that's a positive, but that may not exist if this administration changes in the future. And that, in my opinion, will just breeze Israel right into the uh, program. Right, especially if there's no consequences, if if you know the, the program is implemented and then Israel reverts back to its um, right. you know, apartheid discriminatory policies at the border. Um, Chris, how should Palestinian Americans and Palestine solidarity activists be organizing right now in order to push lawmakers to guarantee the reciprocity um, and and even impose consequences if if the reciprocity is broken? And what is the role that civil rights organizations such as the ADC um, is taking on? 
Great question. So um, I think that the, the most important thing that, that folks can do right now is reach out to their member of Congress, let them know that, you know, at first, this MOU, we have not seen an official signed copy. Now, there are there are drafts that have been circulating around, but the U.S. government is, is refusing to release the MOU. So, you know, first and foremost, they let their members of Congress know, hey, this is not OK. This you can't negotiate away our rights in secret um, Two is to have them join with their fellow members of Congress to send a letter to DHS, to the State Department, saying, from what we have seen, this is not OK. From the, the policy changes that Israel has announced, this is not no, this is nowhere close to reciprocity. Um, and then the, the final thing that that I think is important for lawmakers to do is is hold a hearing, um, you know, especially on, on the Senate side. Senator Gary Peters is the senator from Michigan, where there's a, a giant Arab American population. Um, his constituents are going to be affected by this. Um, and as the chairman of the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee in the Senate, he has the authority and the the remit to bring in folks from the State Department, from DHS, and ask them point blank, what what went into this MOU? How are you approaching reciprocity? And Abed, did you uh, want to add anything? The, the one thing I would add, you know, in addition to, you know, pushing your members of Congress and pushing this out there is don't, don't fall into the trap of the stealth PR campaign uh, you know, Israel is engaging in just as they engage in others. And, you know, by them allowing, you know, specific individuals through, by allowing people to, um, you know, tape themselves or, or record themselves going through and post selfies from the airport, we're, you know, doing the work for them. And this this could be temporary. And again, we we, we understand how good it is and, and, and how positive positive it is and has been for a lot of travelers. We just want to see that extended to all travelers. We want to see that extended to anybody with an American passport. At the same time, we can't be caught up uh, in Israeli propaganda and believe, you know, just because some individuals have it good, this is a great program. We need to continue standing up for and advocating for all individuals, you know, everybody, and, and not set aside, you know, individuals from Gaza because, you know, oh, we can deal with them later. No, no, this, this has to be dealt with now. It's all or nothing. And continuing to push that, and continuing to push against the narrative that this is, you know, we're we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna have a perfect program, but this is good enough. No, it, it could be better, uh, and it has to abide by, you know, the standards that the law and, and, and the regulations for visa waivers set forth. At ADC, we're going to continue pushing this. I know there's a um, there's a you know, looking into legal strategies as well in the event they are admitted. What we could do on on that front is always an option. And there's uh, always the the um, understanding that the only way to really paint this picture is to collect stories and to collect examples of things happening. So we encourage people that if they do travel uh, overseas, if they are at the airport or are at the border crossing um, at the bridge and they're not permitted to go in or they're not allowed to go in, they're turned away, they need to file with the uh, U.S. State Department and let them know here's what happened. Then at the same time, ADC has a link, which is on our website, uh, which we can share the link with you to pass out. We, we need to collect those stories. We need to be able to show State Department that, hey, 
you know, this many individuals were turned away. Here's why they were turned away. And then set the pattern and give them the data so they can understand how uh, this is not necessarily working the way it should. So that's a very important component to educate the travelers, to educate folks going over there and let them know if you are turned away, we need to hear your story. We need to collect that information. Yeah, that's really important. And um, for people wanting to learn more about uh, your work, um, explaining and and uh, you know documenting uh, what's happening with the visa waiver program, where can they go? ADC.org. Wonderful. You'll see it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We'll of course have updates as this uh, program moves through <laughs> legislature and the State Department and DHS and all of that. So we'll have you back on um, probably at the end of September when when we know more. Um, that is uh, Abed Ayoub and Chris Habibi from the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, ADC. Abed and Chris, thank you so much for all of your work and for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you so thank much. You. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for watching this video. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit like, leave a comment. These engagements help us with the YouTube algorithm and it helps us to get around Silicon Valley censorship as much as possible. It does make a difference. You can also support our journalism by going to electronicintifada.net and clicking on donate now. Thank you.